0: Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, beside the gates in front of of the town, at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O oh, simple ones, learn prudence; O oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. And my mouth, for my mouth, will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips; all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness. In the paths of justice. Granting an inheritance to those who love me. And filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Years ago I was set up. At the first before the beginning of. Of the earth when there were no depths I was brought forth when there were no springs abounding with water before the mountains had been shaped before the hills I was brought forth before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the worlds when he established the heavens I was there when he drew a circle On the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit. So that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, finds life. And whoever obtains favor from the Lord, and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me, injures himself. All who hate me, love death. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that we would hear this call. This call of wisdom. This call from you. Lord, I ask now that your Holy Spirit would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, these are such high and lofty words. Almost every word in this passage, Lord, could could take weeks and months to even think about. And here we, Lord, in a few minutes this morning, want to look at this and we want to we want to understand what you're saying to us. We want to really get the message. We want to we want to find life. So, Lord, now would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, take our calloused hearts and we pray that you'd file them down so that they would be tender. We pray that where we are closed off, we would be open. We pray that where our eyes are blinded, they would be enlightened. We pray for where our ears are clogged and closed, that they would be cleaned and opened. We pray that where our minds are slow and rusty, they would become sharp and they would move freely and they would understand these words. Lord, even above, exceedingly above the natural abilities you've given us, we ask that supernaturally we would be able to apprehend this word. And Lord, as we do, that, Lord, we would find life. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and together God's people said, Amen. Last week, we were in chapter 7 of Proverbs. And honestly, I don't think you could have a passage in the Bible that could be more down-to-earth more plain, more easy to understand, more accessible to every person than chapter 7, dealing with this, this sort of uh, call in the world to, uh, to sexual immorality. Just very plain, very powerful, very convicting. And as you have chapter 7 being so much in the the day-to-day, so much in something we already know and understand. It's just part of the the, the grittiness of our life. It's down on the the streets of daily living. What you have here in chapter 8 is sort of the camera is zooming out. And as you're zooming out, you are now going not only from the street but you move backwards and you start to see the palace. And then eventually you move to a height where you are seeing the creation of the world. You're moving not only to a height where you see everything in creation, but you're actually moving back in time. You are moving away from this realistic moment-by-moment approach to all of a sudden you are seeing the, the very foundations by which God created the world, the very character with which God created the world. He's giving you insight into himself. Remember what we learned earlier in Proverbs, and it's this, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And here we get knowledge of the Holy One. These are things that are... Not our thoughts. These are things that are lofty and high. And so as we come beyond the highest peaks of earth, out into the outer edges of the universe, in some ways this passage is very difficult for us to to grasp. But I don't think you're meant to grasp it. I think you're meant to just say, Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. I don't get it all, but it's truly tremendous. Um, Ken, uh, there on the back row, recently went to the Grand Canyon. And, you know, when you go to the Grand Canyon, you you don't just sit there and and start to say, well, you know, you're on the edge and you're going, let me see how many miles across this thing is and how deep down does it go. Really, as he describes it, you just literally are overwhelmed. And one of the most overwhelming feelings is don't get too close because you might fall. This thing is, it's its that sense of awe. Well, let me just tell you, uh, Proverbs 8, if Proverbs 7 is, a, is a, a pothole in the road, then Proverbs 8 is the Grand Canyon. This is something you come to the edge and you go, I hope I don't fall over the edge because I may never come back. And literally, this is a text that has... In the history of Christianity, literally was one of the most battle, uh, 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 central text in all of the Bible, and we'll look briefly at why this text was such a battleground text. So come to this with a sense of, I'm not going to get all of it. There's no way. But I can come to the edge, and I can be awed by the grandeur. I can be sent to my knees where I can say the only place of safety is in worship of the God of wisdom who has made all things using this incredible reality known as chokmah, wisdom. So just to try to to get at this enormous Grand Canyon of a passage... We're going to divide it into three parts. Verses 1 to 21 could be subdivided in many ways, but we're just going to say that those verses are the call of wisdom. And then verses 22 down through 31 are going to be what I'm calling the history of wisdom. And then we'll end with verses 32 through 36, which are the rewards of finding wisdom, the rewards of wisdom. So the first section is the call of wisdom, then the history of wisdom, and then finally the rewards of wisdom. You'll notice in verse 1 of this chapter, it says, does not wisdom call? Now, this is um, meant to, uh, to counteract with the woman who in verse 11, it says of chapter 7, she is loud and wayward. Um, uh, Her feet do not stay in the home. And then in verse 18, she calls out to the man, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. This is the siren call of the world to sin. And here you're seeing the call of wisdom, not to sin and die, but to repent and live. To come in humility to wisdom. To fear God and live. So wisdom also is making a call. It's those two voices, the competing voices that we'll again see in chapter 9. The invitation to two banquets. The banquet of folly. The banquet that leads to death. And the banquet that leads to life. But wisdom is calling. This is no God and his plan for us and for this world and how he has created the world is not some sort of, well, it's there, but but really it's the world that's appealing. Wisdom is entreating. Wisdom is calling. You see this emphasized again when it says, does not understanding raise her voice? Using understanding, meaning that one element of wisdom is you you, you get things. Now, this is an understanding that's not just merely abstract. It's not just a concept. It's like the difference between, um, take Tom, for example. I might say I understand deep sea fishing, but Tom understands deep sea fishing. I mean, maybe I've been a few times. Maybe I understand a little bit about it, how it works, but it's pretty much just theory. But And so I could say I understand it, I've seen it, I know all of the aspects of it, but Tom understands it experientially. He understands it, yes, in his mind, but this word for understanding is he gets it. It's that difference. It's the difference between somebody saying, yeah, you've shown me a video. You've shown me a YouTube video on how to ride a bike. You've taken me out. You've explained all the parts of the bike. I know that that's the pedal. I know that's the handlebars. And I know that I'm supposed to hop on. I'm supposed to go down. I understand that. But the understanding here is the understanding of actually you've gotten on and successfully stayed on that bike. This is experiential understanding. And so that experiential understanding of life is calling. It's raising her voice. Verse 2, on the heights beside the way. At the crossroad, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries out. What you're seeing again about wisdom is sometimes we think about God and how God has made the world and how we're to live in that world, that somehow it's just as narrow as the walls of this church. But the reality is, is wisdom is out in every corner of the world. If you, in your job, in your family life, as a father, as a mother, as a child, um, in, your, in your education, everywhere, wisdom is calling out to you and is saying there is God's way to live. There is a skillful way to live in a godly life. And that's what the wisdom is, a skillful way at living a godly life. So she's crying out. This is an invitation. Come. Come to me, come to wisdom. Notice then it gets very personal in verse 4. To you, O men, I call. To you, O men, I call. Now it's no longer talking about wisdom. This is now wisdom herself has entered the conversation and you hear her actual voice. She's saying she's addressing people. She's addressing men. Now, on Father's Day today, we'll focus this in on the men and fathers in the room. But but here, the idea of men is all men and women, mankind. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is not hidden to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Remember, the simple ones in Proverbs are the ones who are open to everything and committed to nothing. They're not yet a lost cause. They are just at a very dangerous point in their life where they could, their life could go a lot of different directions. They're simple. They just kind of think that everything uh, is, is equal, that arsenic and apples, are they're, just, they're both good in equal proportions. They don't really know the difference uh, uh, between poison and pie. And here he is wanting to say, you've got to learn prudence. And prudence is learning how to make decisions between difficult options. And a lot of times in life, you stand at that point and you say, I don't clearly know what's right and wrong here. But but what is it that helps you? It's wisdom that helps you to discern between wheat and chaff, between right and wrong, between up and down, between light and dark. And this way, saying you've got to learn that there, there is a difference between poison and between other things that are actually good for you. And to fools, learn sense. Now, fools are the ones who've gone further. They've actually committed themselves to not listening to God and God's word. But here, there's even a call to them. It's saying, look, there's a chance for you. There have been people who have been fools who said, you know, I once was blind but now I see. Think of John Newton, right? He was a slave trader, hardened man in sin, and yet, as he was the captain of that slave trading vessel, God got a hold of him, and he was a fool, and then he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He was blind, and his eyes were open, and, and he, it was all amazing grace. So so we even learn that we, we don't just call the ones who are yet uncommitted, but We even look, and wisdom is calling to those who have made a commitment to the false, to the wrong. So, what's the fundamental posture that we should have in relationship to wisdom? It's that single word right there in verse 6 here. H E A R. Here. Listen. Pay attention. Open your ears. Uh, wisdom, this is important because the world teaches us, you know what? Wisdom, all the wisdom you need is already inside of you. You just need to get in touch with what's inside of you. Let me just tell you, what's inside of me and probably you is pretty scary, right? I, if I followed everything that's inside of me, it would not be a pretty picture for me or for the world, So what we have to recognize is is that we are fallen. We said that in our confession this morning. We've fallen into sin. And so we actually have to have what's good and right come to us externally. This is where uh, one of the, the big differences between Baptists and Quakers in the early years. In the early years, the Quakers said what you need is not... The, the light of the Word of God, what you need is the internal light. You need the light inside of you, not the external light. And we certainly do believe the Spirit dwells in us and, and we need that, but, but we would never, ever say that we need anything more than we need the external, objective, clear Word of God coming to us. Because people have been and continue to be deceived by the internal light. We think it's this, we think it's that, whereas the Word of God is plain, it is a plumb line. And so the first position is to open our ears and to open our minds and our hearts and say, we're not the teachers here. We're not born wise. We don't choose wisely in ourselves. We're going to listen, we're going to hear. We come as students not as teachers. We come as those who need to be corrected, not as those who are already beyond correction. Now, what does wisdom say? I will speak noble things. Sometimes we fear that following God will lead us to small and to insignificant, even not very uh, important or impressive things. But here, this is a noble thing. I mean, At its greatest meaning, it means it's something that's truly good. So wisdom is going to lead you into something that's good and lofty. From my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. You never have to fear that with God, that in order for you to follow God, you've got to close your mind off, right? I just believe it because it doesn't look true to me. I don't think it is true, but that's what I'm supposed to do. No. No. Let me just tell you, the reason the word of God has power is because it is truth. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, Thy word, speaking to the Father, Thy word is truth. Father, sanctify them in that truth. Make them holy by that truth. Purify them from sin in that truth. It is truth that we stand for. We do not stand for tradition. We do not stand for the opinions of men. We don't stand for speculation or the best guesses. We need truth. And the place that we have truth presented to us is in the word of God and from the lips of God as it is recorded uh, in all parts of the word and even here in Proverbs 8. Now notice it says wickedness is an abomination to my lips. God will never lead you to do what's wrong. Never. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. You can just trust. If you follow God, he's not going to lie to you. He is not going to trick you. He is going to lead you in a way that is beyond your understanding, but it will be right and it will be good. It will be righteous. And so she makes an appeal, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Um, in this world, that's, she's coming after what we value, the 10th commandment, right? Coveting, wanting. We gotta have, gotta have, gotta have. And she's saying, you know what? It would be better to understand the skill of godly living. That's more precious more impressive, more important than silver or than fine gold? Do you value it? This is what she's wanting to do again. She's wanting to call. Lady Wisdom is calling us one more time. She's saying, if you don't value wisdom, if you value making a living more than making a life, if you value just getting what you want, rather than actually honoring God and glorifying God, if you, if you want just an immediate gratification rather than eternal joy, then you're going to follow the way of the world. But if you, want, if you will value me above silver and gold, that's what you've got to do. That's the beginning point. Do you value wisdom? As we said, are you praying? If you lack wisdom, let him ask. Do you desire it? God, I need your wisdom. I I need to be my character to be in line. I need my mind to be in line with your wisdom. She emphasizes the point again, verse 11. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I know this is theoretical, but I mean, I'm serious. If you had the choice on the way out of church today, and there was just, bars of silver and gold and there were chests of jewels or over here there was kind of you could either come out and you could go out that way or you could come out and circle around that way and over here all there was was a bible for each one of you a bible or here there was all of the riches of the world and there were shopping carts big shopping carts That you could fill. And over here, you just got to take your Bible and walk out. And one more thing. And nobody in here would know exactly what you did. just so you can hide yourself, right? And you could just walk out today, either with your shopping cart filled with jewels, silver, or gold. I mean, some of you right now, you really feel the weight. The most impressing problem in my life. If I just had a little more money, I could solve everything. Or would you say, you know what? If I have the wisdom of the Lord, that's greater than that. I have to take one or the other. What am I going to take? Ask yourself, do you desire it? Do you treasure it in that way? And, and, and here she wants to make sure. Do you understand of all the things you could desire? Maybe you don't desire silver, gold, or jewels. Maybe you desire something else. You desire a great name, a great career, great learning, a great family, great relationships, great pleasure, He says, and all that you can desire cannot compare with wisdom. You can't think of something that is of comparable value to wisdom. Then verse 12, wisdom speaks again. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Prudence, being able to figure out between two competing voices, which is the right one to follow. And I find knowledge and discretion. And then here she makes this beautiful point. She wants to explain the fear of the Lord. Says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Now we've learned there's a lot of components to the fear of the Lord. But Job says the exact same thing, doesn't he? Our memory verse, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So let's just put it this way. If you want the wisdom of God on one hand, and you want your evil desires fulfilled on the other, and you want to carry both, you will destroy the power of the wisdom of God in your life. You cannot say, I fear God, but I embrace evil. So the fear of the Lord is is hatred of evil. And, And let me just say this. One of the things we immediately think is, well, yeah, I do. I hate all the bad things that are happening in the world. And I think that's part of it, right? I mean, we hate it. We hate to see violence. We hate to see people killing and stealing and cheating and, and people that are, are living against all of God's standards of morality. We hate to see that. That is an aspect of what this person means. But but I think that we need to be clear that the hatred of evil needs to first begin with the hatred of evil inside of us. Us. Do you hate the ways that you are not in line with the word and the will of God? Do you hate the ways that you continue to fall? Do you hate the ways that you continue to to go with the works of the flesh rather than developing the fruit of the spirit? I mean, think about Paul. What does he say? I mean, this is one of the most sanctified of men. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Earlier, he said, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. He, he felt that tension. But let me just tell you, you've got to hate the ways that you fall short of the glory of God. We come even as Christians and we say, well, I'm forgiven. And we start to excuse ourselves and we stop hating the ways that we fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot wash ourselves clean, but we are never called to make an unholy alliance, a pact, a truce between us and our sin. We want to fight the good fight of the faith to that final breath and say, I will slay you And I will keep wielding this sword of the Spirit against you until my final breath. I will not make peace with you. There will be no truce with sin in my life. The second you make that truce, you've turned your back on the fear of the Lord. Notice where he begins, pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. And the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Over and over again, I, I think the thing that keeps us from the gospel more than any other that is in us is that we're just proud. Or as it says back in Proverbs chapter 3, we're wise in our own eyes. We think we've got this world figured out. And to fear the Lord is to say, Lord, I don't understand all you or your ways, but but I, I recognize compared to you I am low and lowly, like being on the edge of the Grand Canyon. You don't just all of a sudden feel invincible. You don't feel big. You feel small, you feel vulnerable, you feel weak. That's the spiritual reality when you come before God. The fear of God is you're put in your spot and God is in his. He's big, he's beautiful, he's right. We are small. If we're big and God's small, then we do not fear him. And so here you've got to get rid of this, this pride. And arrogance is a little different. It's not just thinking you're great. Arrogance is thinking you're better than everybody else. It says you've got to put that away. The way of evil and perverted speech. This would be lying, and this would be this would be speaking in a harsh or coarse way. You, you can't be saying that you care about. The fear of the Lord when those are still the prominent way of your life. Then we notice quickly in verses 14 to 21. Some of the ways that this wisdom is working. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings rule reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. Notice and I want to make this clear. The world, wisdom is in some degree, to a a certain aspect, we all operate with it. We all can operate with it. And and here he's saying, look, when you see a a really amazing decision by by a ruler, they go down a a really amazing path. They're actually using one of the attributes of God, the wisdom of God. Now, they may not be... Ascribing that back to God, they may think it came from inside themselves and therefore they sin in not giving God the thanks. (coughs) Excuse me, but they are using it. And here, um, so we recognize that even in the realm of the political, the realm of governance, that people are using wisdom. Verse 17, wisdom speaking, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently Find me. So this is what I would say. If on this quest for wisdom is just every one of us, again, before we get into chapter 10 and beyond, is just again to commit ourselves, Lord, I want to be involved in a lifelong quest for understanding the skill of godly living. I want to learn how to live in a crooked and twisted world in the power of your wisdom, in the spirit of wisdom. And, and here she's making a promise. If you love wisdom, if you see, man, I really think this matters. Wisdom is a big deal, and I'm going to seek after it. She's making a promise to you. You're going to find. If you seek diligently, not just you knock once and then you go away, but you diligently knock, you will find. Notice again, the consequences for living in this manner, this godly life, riches and honor with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield and choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. Now, you know, we, on our... um, uh, Order of worship, the last song we sing, we call it the song of invitation. It's just what we call it. It could be called a lot of different things. But that's all you've got here in these first 21 verses. It's just an invitation. It's an invitation to follow God into the path of wisdom, into the way of wisdom. To say, I need wisdom, I need to have understanding. I need to know what's the right way to go and and how to go down that path in a skillful way, how to navigate through life's byways and highways. So wisdom is calling. Wisdom is inviting. Will you come to her? Will you invite her? Will you begin to seek after her? Will you love her? If you will, she promises that she will be found by you. Then we now move to the second point, and this is verses 22 through 31. This is what I call the history of wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the heavens, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Um, You think about this, what basically this passage is saying is that you go back before. God doesn't get wisdom. You know, you think when we're learning something new, say you're, you're wanting to learn woodworking, which I took woodworking years ago, like ninth grade, I took woodworking. The only thing I was able to make was uh, I made a rolling pin for my mom. Only problem was is it didn't have enough room for actually get her hands under it, so she just kind of had to do that number. It was, it was not skillful at all. Um, what happens to us is we learn skill typically by trial and error, right? Oh, that didn't work. Crumple up the paper. Let's start over again, right? Maybe we get a little better, right? You, you learn any sort of skill that way. Lots of trial and error. That is not how it was with God. God didn't say, all right, let me see. Let's create a universe. Boom, oh, uh, not such a good idea. Let's start over, right? I'm going to learn as I go along. God is perfect in his knowledge and in his wisdom. And he had as one of his core attributes wisdom so that when he created the world, it was created with this incredible, exquisite skill. Uh, You know, the old illustration. If you're walking along through a field and you find a stopwatch and you pick it up and you take the lid off and you look at all the moving parts and everything together... You don't just say, man, that's just kind of an amazing thing. I don't know how all those pieces from all over the world could have come together and create that moving part, this, this incredible thing. You say, somebody designed this. Somebody had to be an architect who had an incredible insight into how you could put these pieces together and make it so that it would actually mark time. That's an incredible skill. You don't just say, oh, look at it. It just happened. It's just chance. In the same way, every cloud that you see in the sky, every wave that breaks upon the shore of the sea, every, uh, every uh, last night, anybody go outside last night? Did you see that full moon? <laughs> I mean, if you can go out there and go, oh, I think that's, I mean, I don't know. How far is the moon? Somebody know from the earth? There you go. I knew that. There, 238,000 miles, right? I mean, you don't just sit there and I think that that's that and let's put that in kilometers and you just sit there and you go, wow, amazing, right? I mean, people weren't just tempted to do a scientific experiment with the moon. They were tempted. They were enticed to worship the moon. Their hearts were drawn away because it was not only something that was designed well, it was, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful. In the same way, every bit of the world has the marker of God. Have you ever thought about your own body? I mean, we are just the most ungrateful beings imaginable. He's given us a mind to understand that this did not just happen by chance. Everything about it from our eye to our finger and how it moves and how we breathe, how we think and how we function, it is showing design. It is showing forth the wisdom of God. And that's what this is saying. Wisdom is not something God learned. It's not something that came along later. It was at the very core of who he was. It was one of those first attributes. And then therefore, Every fingerprint of God, every creation of God, you're going to see design and wisdom. Now, what do we recognize? We not only have the creation of God, we have the sin of man. And so that puts a mar on all things, yet we can still see the image of God in people. We can still see the beauty of God in creation, even as we have polluted it. We can still see and we are still drawn by this incredible wisdom that is his. And he uses it as it says, it was there from he's taken us back in time. And this would be like one of those science documentaries. You know, it's just going back and back and back and back. I mean, you're you're going back to that first moment when God said, Let there be light. You're going, that's that's how far back we're going in history. And by the way, it says, when you get back there that far, you already had wisdom. It was with him. Now, let me just say this. One of the most controversial verses in the entire history of Christianity was verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Literally, the translation that early Christians read was a Greek translation of the Bible, and it literally read, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. The reason that that was such a controversial verse is that without exception, all of the early church fathers thought that this portrayal of wisdom, and verse 22 was referencing Jesus Christ. All of them. And so those that said, well, let me just tell you, what we believe is that Jesus, yes, he's special, he's above us, but he was created. Here's the verse. And the others didn't deny that the verse was about Jesus. They said, no, what this means is he was created in his humanity. Well, I I think that this is one of the places where really the translation really matters. What they were operating on was on the Greek translation, and in that, that's the word created. But when you go back to the Hebrew, the word almost always means, as it says in ours, possessed or acquired. And and so I I think there are a couple of thoughts. I, I think that, one, you cannot. I mean, you take any verse, and you say, Jesus is a created being, then a couple of things. One, he's not truly God. And two, if you worship him, you're a blasphemer. And you see over and over in the New Testament, that's sort of the great reveal. Jesus, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and lo and behold, the Word was God. You see this over and over again that, that it's wanting to say this. So I think it's, it's difficult for us to know how to equate this. I, I, I think that this is maybe where I would come down. I think that the word is possessed. You know that for me, I would, I, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven guilty like Charles Spurgeon. If I'm going to be guilty of one thing, it's I'm going to be finding Jesus even where he wasn't. Okay. That's I would rather be guilty of overfinding Jesus rather than underfinding of Jesus. But I can't definitively say that this verse is specifically about him. But what I can say is that the reason all of those church fathers believe that is because the New Testament clearly says that Christ is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. That Jesus Christ has been made our wisdom He is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. In Him are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So whether or not this verse directly relates to Christ, we know that all of the trails lead to Christ, that you can literally at the end of life, you could have successfully navigated family life. You could have successfully navigated your educational life. You could have had a successful career. You could have acquired wealth. You could have had barns and bigger barns. And literally the Lord would say at you, oh fool, tonight what is required of you is your life. You could have everything in the world and you would end up with nothing if you not only, if you do, if you have just the skill of life, but you don't have the one who is the maker of life. So so don't get too distressed over the exact reality. We know Christ is not a created being. So if that verse means created, it's not a direct reference to him. But yet we know that all lines lead to Jesus as being our wisdom. So I'm just saying this to you. Do not just figure out how to have your best life now. You will end up so, it is so much less than God has for you. He wants, do you understand what he's trying to say to you men? Some of you fathers, well, my life, I didn't amount to much, didn't do much. Let me just tell you, everything in this life is but the title page. The rest of life is yet to come. When you breathe your last and you're absent from the body and present with the Lord, that's page one of a story that will be page after page that we will have eternal life. We will have eternal life that will be abundant life because we will be in the presence of the God who uses wisdom, but more specifically, the God, when we see the face of Christ, we are seeing the very wisdom of God and it runs counter to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is get all you can and be all you can right here, right now. And the wisdom of God is is trust a crucified Jew who died on your behalf, and in him you will find in that cross more wisdom, more power, more eternity than any of the philosophers or educators or writers that this world has ever produced. In the humble, crucified Messiah is the place where you find the most truth, the most beauty, and the most life. And we see that he... Pulls it all together in verses 32 to 36. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Right? God's saying, look, you you come and you seek from my word. You seek wisdom and ultimately you seek me. You're going to find life. You're not going to be injured by this, but if you fail to do it, you will be injured. Are you making the search and the the, the, the daily coming before the presence of the Lord. Is that, are you doing Matthew six thirty three? But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yet what do we do? We focus. Well, I got to go today and I got to do this. And we keep putting the kingdom of God last, bottom. And we wonder, why is life so shallow? Why is life so pale, so weak? Jesus says, put me first. Seek me first. You remember Jesus, he makes this point, you know, at the end of that beautiful Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know what? Whoever hears my word and does them is like the wise man, wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Whoever hears my word and does not keep them, does not obey them, is like the man who builds his house upon sinking sand. And he says, and when the rains come down and when the storm and the winds are blowing, he said, that house that is built on sand will collapse. But the house that is built upon me and my words will stand. Men, every day, every day, by what you love and by who you are seeking after, you are building another portion Of your house. You are building a place that either is going to come collapsing around you and your family because you chose to build it on the shifting, sinking sands of this world, or you are building a house that is a part of that eternal dwelling that will continue on past time, that your children will rise up, much as they will to your godly wife. They will rise up and call you blessed. Because you led them in the paths of righteousness for the sake, the namesake of the Lord. Men, do not seek the fame of this world, do not seek the applause of this world, do not seek the riches of this world. Seek God, seek Christ. As you find Him, you will find all the wisdom of God. You will find life now for yourself, and you will find life everlasting. It will be the greatest legacy that you leave for your children. You know, verse 22, as I said, was a verse of great controversy. There was one little man. He was a short man. In fact, he was called a black dwarf. And he lived in the early 300s. He was from Egypt. And he went to a group, a meeting of some Christians and and he heard them talking about this question, this verse in particular. And one group was saying, "No, Jesus is not a, he's a created being. We don't need to worship him. We worship God. And this man, he, he looked at it and he said, that, that can't be right. And he said, you know, he said, what about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What about all the places where Thomas says or others say, my Lord and my God, that Jesus really is God. He's not the first creature of God. He is God himself. True God from true God. Light from light. As Elmer said today, June 19th, 325, that council meeting together in a little city in Turkey, they said, you know what? We believe that the Bible clearly teaches Jesus is God. He's the son of God, but he is God, He is truly God. Light from light, true God from true God. After that council, many of the people turned their backs on it because they, they felt like they just couldn't withstand some of the logical arguments of people based on the mistranslation of verse 22 in Proverbs 8. But this one little man, whose name was Athanasius, he refused to bend. He said, if we lose Jesus as God... We lose Jesus as Savior. If we lose him as Savior, then you're lost. He's only truly God can bear your sins and only truly man can represent you. He must be both. And he preached and he proclaimed. Literally, To oftentimes, he was exiled five or six times from his city where he was seeking to serve the flock. And sometimes he felt like he was the only person left on the planet who actually believed that Jesus was God, that Jesus really is the wisdom of God, that he is the eternal God of eternal God. And so the phrase came to be, a later phrase spoken of him, that this one man stood contra mundum. Literally, he stood, one man, against the entire world. So let me just tell you, fathers, Everything in the world is going to tell you you're a fool for following Jesus. Everything in this world is going to tell you you're a fool for believing there's anything beyond the grave. Everything in this world is going to tell you you're a fool for believing there's actual absolute right and absolute wrong. (laughs) That there's any way that you can actually know anything for certain. That you need to teach your children not just an opinion, but you need to teach them the word of God as truth. The world is going to go against that. And I just want to say, are there any men in this room who have the same spirit of holiness dwelling in them that say, you know what, even if everybody else on the planet says that God's word is not true, that there is no salvation in Christ, I will stand against the world to my final breath. I will stand upon the solid rock of God's word. I don't care who goes with me. I want to invite others to come, but I will believe. I will stand. I think that's the call. Maybe not to the masses, but to the men right here. Will will one of you? Will all of you say I'll stand against the whole world? Contramundum, I believe, because the word of God has plainly expressed it. The Spirit of God has convinced my heart and I know more true than anything I can see or feel. The Word of God is the Word of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He truly is God from God. I will hold to Him as my wisdom. I will hold to Him as my redemption to the very end. Men, may that be the legacy of your life. Not the riches in your hand, but the Savior you took a hold of. Not the house, the foundation of the house that you leave behind, but the foundation of the solid rock upon which you are building your family's lives. And I pray as you hold firm that just as happened with that little man Athanasius, that there would be many thousands, even millions, like us in this room, who have to just say, Athanasius, you read the Bible correctly, we say amen. You were right to stand against the world and eternity itself will vindicate you. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Would you pray with me? Father, this passage, Lord, is so vast. It is bigger than the universe it takes us to before the beginning of time. But Lord, I thank you that we don't have to, to somehow understand everything. We just need to know that Jesus Christ has, is for us your wisdom. And we need to hold fast to him. We need to cling to him. Even the foolishness of, of his cross. It just doesn't make sense to the world, but we believe it is the power of God and the salvation. Lord, I pray for the men in this room that though all hell should endeavor to shake, Lord, that they would build their lives upon the solid rock of the wisdom that is Jesus Christ. And as they do, Lord, I pray that one day when this groaning creation has been redeemed, Lord, that the true sons of God would be revealed on that day. Lord, may we, women and men in this room, be in that number. All through the person and work of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. And together God's people said. Amen.